Day after tomorrow, gentlemen, we'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas functions on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. The pools, the casino. Big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesars Palace, is it? Want to gamble? They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good luck. The Strip is just the most amazing stretch of road, I think, probably anywhere in the world. Kicking ass in Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas. It's where magic resides, alive and glowing like no other place on planet Earth. While relatively small compared to its little brother, the Strip, Fremont Street is larger than life. The lights, the buskers, the good gamble, the Fremont Street experience is a must for all visitors to Las Vegas. While originally developed as a typical downtown found in any major city, Vegas quickly realized that that was a boring idea, and people didn't want to travel great distances usually by train, to the desert, pre-air conditioning days, to see a city that they could see any place else on Earth. Downtown Las Vegas needed to be more if it was going to survive. And so, it turned to vice. All sorts. Booze, prostitution, and of course, gambling. After the Mirage changed everything, Fremont Street once again needed to reevaluate their game in a way that would draw people downtown. This is the story of Fremont Street and her evolution into the seven casinos we have residing under the canopy today. Before we get started, we want to make one thing clear. We're not documenting every business that has existed on Fremont Street in this evolution. Only the casino evolution. Places who primarily made their income via gambling. We're also only servicing the names that we've identified as majority ownership or are considered noteworthy names that help establish the city and its growth into the place we know it is today. Despite having the best collection of neon lights in Las Vegas, by 1992, 80% of the Vegas casino market was on the Strip. In a fight for survival, Fremont Street casinos decided to work together to come up with an idea that would lure Strip visitors downtown. Together, they would also finance and support the upkeep of whatever this new attraction would be. Multiple concepts were considered. A Steve Wynn-backed Venice Canal concept, affectionately named Las Venice, called for the streets to be filled with water and populated with gondolas transporting people to and fro. Venetian would eventually offer this as an attraction when they opened in 1999. Another idea was to build a parade in the sky, a concept abandoned for multiple reasons, including pedestrian perspective, and the elements like wind and sand that the attraction would have to contend with. Rio would eventually go on to feature this as an attraction named Masquerade in the Sky as part of their 1997 expansion. One concept that almost happened was a project that called for the building of a life-size replica of the Starship Enterprise. That idea was nixed when the CEO of Paramount Pictures, the company that owns the rights to Star Trek, refused to approve the project, saying if it didn't work, he'd forever be known as the CEO that allowed it to be built. That brings us to what we have today, the Fremont Street Experience, a canopy covering a five-block section of Fremont that features a light show, 
displayed on the underside. On September 7, 1994, that five-block section was closed off to automobile traffic, and construction began on the project. On December 14, 1995, the Fremont Street Experience opened to the public. The following year, FSE, a separate company jointly created by the downtown casino owners to manage the attraction, partnered with the Neon Museum to install refurbished neon signage from Vegas Past along the downtown tourist corridor, starting with the Hacienda Horse and Rider sign. It worked. The changes helped to make Fremont Street a tourist destination once again. But most know this part of Fremont's evolution. The question is, how did the seven properties under the canopy come to be the casinos of the Fremont Street experience? It all started because William Clark was looking to build a connection between his train route in Salt Lake City to a route in Southern California. To do that, he would need a stop in between the two destinations to refuel. Las Vegas access to water made it an ideal location to refuel steam trains. So, with more than a thousand in attendance, on May 15, 1905, the 40 blocks of the Clark Town site were auctioned off and the city of Las Vegas was created. At the time, gambling was just beginning to be re-legalized in Nevada after a total ban was implemented in 1861. Legislation that was so unpopular, police seldom enforced it. But in 1909, while the regressive movement that would eventually lead itself to the prohibition of alcohol continued to gain support throughout the United States, in Nevada, they were finally able to pass legislation that banned all forms of gambling. Again, those who violated the regulation could be subject to up to five years in prison. That victory would only be on paper as support for legalized gambling began to slowly chip away at the law. It only took two years for decriminalization to begin. In 1911, legislation was passed that re-legalized gambling on social card games, except for poker. That remained banned until 1913, at which time all social card games became legal. Slot machines were re-legalized under the condition that the rewards not be cash. Players could be rewarded with drinks, cigars, or sums less than $2. In 1915, paramutual gaming was re-legalized, but only at racetracks. The Roaring Twenties had more of an impact on Las Vegas than Prohibition did, as alcohol consumption and gambling continued with little to no disruption. The argument between lawmakers on both sides intensified as gambling dens were not only existing in defiance of Nevada law, but ignoring federal regulations as well. Proposals to legalize wide-open gambling in the state failed multiple times in the middle to late twenties. It took the Great Depression to finally swing support back in favor of gaming. In 1931, wide-open gambling was legalized in the state of Nevada once again, this time for good. Two weeks after the bill passed, the first four gaming licenses were issued, and three of those four were for establishments located on Fremont Street, specifically to the Boulder Club at 18 Fremont, aka Block 18, the Northern Club at 15 Fremont, and the Las Vegas Club at 21 Fremont, both on Block 15. Initially, the establishments were run by small groups of owners who pooled their resources to open and split the profits. In fact, this is how the market was introduced to J.K. Housel Sr., the principal owner of the original Las Vegas Club, located in between what is known today as Golden Gate and the Pioneer Club. But over the next 50 years, 
Fremont Street would rapidly evolve as buildings used for banks, pharmacies, and sundry shops were acquired and repurposed into casinos. And as the titans of Fremont Street evolved, they began to absorb neighborhood competition, eventually evolving into the Fremont Street that we know today. So let's talk about how much Fremont has evolved over the years by starting where the street addresses start. One Fremont Street, known today as Golden Gate. One Fremont Street was the site of the city of Las Vegas' first hotel, opening shortly after the William Clark auction. It is located on Block 3, featuring addresses 1 through 25 Fremont. John F. Miller purchased One Fremont and opened the Hotel Nevada in 1905. Initially just a tent hostel, in early 1906, a two-story hotel was built on the site, offering the most luxurious accommodations and fine dining in the city. In the early 1930s, Miller added another two stories to the hotel and renamed it Sal Segev, Las Vegas spelled backwards. March 20th, 1931, a day after the bill re-legalizing gambling passed, the Northern Club, opened since 1912, just east of the Hotel Nevada, got the first gaming license. Since illegal games had been running all along, the tables were already in place and ready for business before the ink was dry on the license. 1931 would also be the year Salsagev opened a casino on the first floor. However, by 1934, it's reported that original owner John F. Miller's son, Abe, became disenchanted with the casino operations, so he closed it in 1934. The gaming equipment was wrapped up and stored at the Salsagev until 1956, when a group of investors from San Francisco, led by Italio Gelfi, partnered with Abe and were awarded a gaming license for a rebranded first-floor casino themed after San Francisco named the Golden Gate. The hotel located above the casino would continue to be named Salsagev until 1955, when the Golden Gate name took over the entire property. On March 26, 1960, the Golden Gate had a chance to be a part of history as NAACP leadership met with Vegas hotel owners and public officials to come to an agreement to desegregate the city, especially in the hotel casinos who had been hiring black entertainers as headliners at their properties for years while simultaneously not allowing them to play in the casino or stay in the hotel. However, Abe Miller would be one of those who resisted the change as the Golden Gate and the Salsa Gab received multiple reports of blacks being rejected. We hope you've enjoyed this premium content preview. For access to the rest of this episode, as well as all the premium content we offer, go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. A monthly subscription will give you access to the enhanced version of the podcast, often with bonus content, exclusive podcasts like 360 Vintage Vegas, 360 Origins, 360 Vegas Movies, insider information on all things 360 Vegas, 360 Vegas Vacation, and early access to everything. To subscribe, simply go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can find a link to Patreon on our blog, 360vegaspodcast.com. Podcast.com.